Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 54, which begins with Frigga saying Odin always has a purpose and ends with Jane skeptical that Thor can get his hammer back. Joining us today and all this week is Scott Corelli, founder of Dueling Genre Podcast Network and host of Franchiseography. Uh, Scott, happy Thor's Day. We are here on uh, Thursday, the day of Thor. And so we've been asking all of our guests, what is your favorite Thor moment? Like when you think of Thor as a character in the MCU or even from comic books, what, what's the moment that first comes to mind for you? Oh, man. Um, wow. That's a really good question. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Uh, I'm trying to think. I, Andy, we really have to warn people about this. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to go with the, uh, for some reason, the moment that sticks out to me is the, uh, you're probably wondering how I got here moment from Ragnarok. Um, just because <laughs> it's so silly and very Thor and it's, it's just a, a very, like, he finds himself in a very big situation, but is just kind of, like, tossing it over his shoulder of just, like, yeah, you're probably wondering how I got here, you know? And I just, it's a very Thor moment to me and just sort of, like, epitomizes the character. I'm definitely with you there. I, I, I'm enjoying this movie. I think there's a lot of great moments for him throughout the series. But I, I definitely think Ragnarok is where they really figured out the sweet spot for Thor of, like, how much to use him for comedy versus how much to use him for the big epicness and... Maybe he doesn't have to speak with exclamation points every single line of dialogue and right. things like that. So, well, we're going to have a lot to say about Thor in this minute in just one moment. Have you ever heard of Patreon? Well, like so many podcasters out there, we are fans of their site, and we find it to be just a great platform for all of our fans to support us by becoming patrons. Well, we have now upgraded our site to Patreon's memberful platform, which allows us to actually build our patron support platform right into our own site. So if you've been thinking about becoming a patron to show your love for the show, but you weren't sure about it as you can't find us on Patreon, just know that we are in fact using their platform. You can learn more about it at memberful.com. They make it so, so easy. Just visit truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute and you can find out what we offer to our patrons. It's only $5 a month. And you can even get a discount if you join at the annual rate. Thanks. So we start with Frigga finishing the thought she was having at the beginning of the last one, where she says, there's always a purpose to what your father does. And Loki does not look happy about this. And I'm, I'm wondering here, is this Frigga just kind of in general having good thoughts about this all? Or are we supposed to think that maybe actually Odin intentionally went into the Odin sleep. Because I certainly had the sense of it's kind of like, you know, my blood pressure got too high in a tense situation. I had a heart attack. But are, are we supposed to read that much into there's always a purpose to what your father does? I always just took it as a sort of, uh, I don't know, real world example of like God works in mysterious ways. Like that's kind of the vibe that I feel like is happening here. Um, only the difference is that God is like a literal person that is asleep on, on this bed. <laughs> um, but I, that, that's always how I read it is, is it's like that. And I think that's why it upsets him so much is because he's like, no, he's a person 
and he makes decisions, and I want to know why. <laughs> yeah. I read it like she was very specifically referring to the you know the comment she just made about Thor and how maybe we can get Thor back, this whole idea of Thor's banishment, and that she's saying there's a purpose to this whole thing with the banishment, and I have a feeling it's probably to... I mean, I, I feel like she's seeing it like, there's a lot going on with this banishment that may be designed to do exactly really what the film does is that it teaches Thor a lesson and he comes back a, a, a potential better ruler. And I think that uh, Loki doesn't my sense. My read is that Loki doesn't like hearing that because it's like, I want to rule. I don't want Thor to come back. I think that's very accurate. So so before we kind of move on, let's talk about the deleted scene here. First, just kind of one. There's a whole second part of it that I think is so significant. But just starting with the one line that happens right before, you know, she says the thing about the brother and and Odin always having a purpose, where she says, "You're a good son." And I I just thought again, like we don't need it necessarily, but it just added so much to both where she's coming from, but also I think to Loki getting some of the reassurance and validation that he's always wanted. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting. Uh, elements in this particular scene about like these moments. And I mean, I, I really enjoy the scene. I don't think we needed it. Um, I, I feel like they condensed it and we get a lot of uh, kind of get all the talking points basically. But I n- enjoy those moments that we have here where you have that little bit that gives um, Loki something that he really, you know, needed to hear from Frigga or perhaps also like, the little bit that we get where they're talking a little bit more about the Odin sleep. And it gives us a little sense like he can hear you. He's just, you know, he can understand, he knows everything. It's all, I mean, they make it sound exactly like a coma. Like he can hear you, you can talk to him, you know, just, you know, you can hold his hand and he'll feel it. Like all, it just totally feels like that. But it's like all of these moments, I, I, I think it's a nice scene. I don't think I needed the rest of it, but I, I like the way that, um, that at least it plays. I'm glad I got to see it. Yeah, I think it's well put. I think I didn't need those additional stuff of the the Loki and her conversation, but I definitely wanted, I think the, the next part of it, I'll, I'll describe it in just a second, is the first scene where I'm like, you know what, that would have made this a much stronger movie because I think it would help correct some of the stuff we were just talking about uh, a couple weeks ago. And, and for those who haven't seen it, it is a deleted scene where it's a continuation of this, where after they have that kind of nice moment together, the doors, the chambers open and a, a number of official looking people come in, one of whom is holding Odin's staff. And um, Gung uh, Gear, am I saying that right? Gungnir. Gungnir. And he kind of, in this very ritualistic way, goes to his knees and offers the staff to Loki. And when Loki looks kind of confused, he looks back to Frigga, his mother, who says, you are part of the line of succession. Thor is banished. You are king. And she says this kind of beautiful line of Asgard is yours, and then actually ends it by saying, my king. Um, And I I love this scene in part because I feel, well, I don't want to get into too many of my theories about it, but let me just hear from you all what you think of the scene. Cause I feel like this, it really helps to connect for me where Loki was to where we wind up seeing him. I appreciate seeing it. And I think as a, it, it's sort of like an interesting thing because I think if this scene exists in this movie, you know, the the version of the movie that gets released in theaters, then I think that what becomes of Loki in Avengers, etc., 
Um, I think that a lot of the, I don't know, like a lot of his desire for power, I feel like gets kind of deflated by him getting power here. Um, it is given to him. And it's a perfect scene for a movie where Loki is a one-and-done villain only in this movie. But because we're talking about a character who has a very... I mean, we he just had a show that ended like a month ago or whatever it was. Um, you know, that, to me, feels like he can't ever have actually been given this power. Um, it has to always be a situation where he is taking it and and using his you know trickster business that's fair um and so like i i don't i i like the scene i like experiencing it but in the context of like the grander whole i don't think it makes a lot of sense and i'm glad they cut it well so here's an interesting question for you because i think that's an interesting perspective that i hadn't really thought about and i guess it's because we have a scene earlier where loki is sitting on the throne when the warriors three and sif yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, they they come in to talk to him, and he's just like, uh, he is saying, you know, you need to listen to me because I am your king. So, uh, I mean, uh, your perspective from your perspective, then, is that like him just like playing it up as if he is, even though he's not? Yeah, it feels like pontificating to me. Like, it feels like he's putting on airs. Um, and, and I think that's a more proper use of Loki, because if... Because what this scene is is sort of showing is that he has earned the right to king, to the seat on the throne, whereas without this scene, that scene just looks like he was like, well, yeah, like, I'm the next lion in the three. I, I deserve this. This is, And that feels much more in line with the Loki that we get over the course of all of these. Um, and, and, you know, because, like, you want him to learn that lesson way down the line that, like, that's not how you get power. Um, and I think that it only works if he doesn't have, if this scene doesn't happen. I, I, I hear what you're saying. And interesting. I think one thing that's interesting when we look at the original script is a lot of these scenes were in different places in the original script. And I, I think, and I'm glad you brought up that scene from before, because I think in the, as I imagine that this scene now would have had to happen before that scene where Loki has the staff and, and is talking to the Warriors 3 and Sif. And I think here, here's kind of an interesting question that the MCU has to wrestle with a lot, which is what do you do for the sake of this movie versus what do you do for the sake of the Uber plot? Because I, I think I, I think you have me convinced that this helps for the Loki story. I think, though, for me at least, that scene that we saw of him, uh, like, you know, claiming the kingship, it, it just didn't strike me as, it, it didn't hit me as believable because it was such a jump from where he was. And then this moment with Frigga is such a jump backwards that it, it, it it's kind of like, I, I feel like this scene would have helped make this movie a lot better. But I also think you might be right that then it also does change. We now have Loki as such a sympathetic character that you're right. Maybe he's no longer even, it, it's not even possible to make him the villain by the end. Right, right. Yeah, it's uh, there is a lot of interesting elements at play with that. And you can see where a decision like that that uh, you know, I I don't think I don't know, but I don't I don't know how far down the road Feige had been at this particular point like as they were cutting this film was that a conversation that he and Brana were having about does it make sense or was it just a conversation Brana said about you know what I think it's stronger if we don't have that in here. Um but I feel like obviously a decision like that 
is the sort of thing that really can have those ripple effects with all these uh, other uh, films and TV properties and everything down the road. Yeah, I mean, I think they just they shoot a lot and I think they they figure out what they have in the edit, especially in these early films. And then, you know, you have the planned reshoots for everything to like solve problems that you find in the edit as you're going along. Um, I mean, even the the deleted scene ends with a shot to like way earlier in the movie, right? And so, like an establishing shot of the diner, I think, right? So, yeah, right, right. You know, obviously, this scene was going to be in a different place. You know, it's funny that we yeah. referenced earlier. We were like, "Oh yeah, you do the 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 sunset of the of the Arizona sunset, <laughs> and then you cut to the sunset on Asgard." But I actually don't think that that's where this was placed when it was, no. you know, intact. So um, it is it is interesting that they obviously just shot a bunch of stuff. There's a version of this movie that is like, you know, like whatever the assembly cut is where it has this scene intact, probably before the throne scene. Um, but, you know, they found a way to sort of like lean into Loki's sort of like snotty condescension and and his um, desire for power a little bit more because I think it sets him on a path of, you know, it, it gives him more room to grow as a character yeah, yeah. Um, in the long yeah. run. And I think, I think that by the time they were probably in reshoots on this movie, they were like, oh, okay, Avengers is definitely going to happen. And Loki is definitely going to be the villain of that movie. So we need to like figure out how to make that make sense. And I think cutting this scene was probably step one. I think that makes a lot of sense because, one of the things that Andy and I have been going back and forth on throughout this entire movie is the idea of how much does Loki know what his endgame is? You know, how much of this has he plotted out moves seven, eight, nine, or is he just kind of stumbling along and realizing things are much better? And I think there's a strong case that on some level he was always aiming at the throne as like, if everything falls into place, that's the end game. This scene, I think, would settle that debate. Like, this scene, I think, unless he's an incredible actor as Loki, and I just, I don't quite buy it for that moment, you know, he seems so surprised that he could be king. And even there's that wonderful, very touching moment where even when he finally takes the staff, Gungnir, he, he will only touch it with his fingertips. He won't, like, for a while, even hold it in his hand. And I think, uh, you know, I, I, I can I can see again why that would maybe be a part of why you cut it as well, is because you want to be able to keep that tension. You want to, like, Hedleston is doing such a great job of maybe I'm scheming, maybe I'm not, who knows? And this scene certainly would have obliterated that. Right. Especially with the end when you, when he has that look, because that's just a straight up evil look. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like he's full of maliciousness right now. And, and that also may go to, you know, this, I, I don't know too much about Hollywood, but this is something I've heard of happening quite often where you write a character one way and then you get an actor who just so blows apart your expectations. Like I, I, I could easily imagine, you know, they got halfway through shooting Tom Hiddleston scenes and were like, you know what? This isn't a, like, like, yeah, this, we're going to keep this around and we don't need to tell the audience what's happening. We're going to let him sell the, the possibilities. Right. Right, right, right. I also yeah. wouldn't be surprised if one of the things that they did in reshoots was scale him back from a sort of, uh, you know, like I, I, you watch this deleted scene and Loki feels less schemy 
and more genuine and more just like, no, you're a, you're a jerk. You don't deserve this. You'd be a bad king. I would be a good king. Like genuinely, I would be a good king. Not just like I want power. I would be a good king. And I wonder if that wasn't the original intention. And then when they went into like reshoots and stuff, that's when they started reshooting his stuff to make him a little more snotty. Yeah. Um, because they wanted to sort of scale him back to like, earlier in his character journey again to facilitate the future of the character Um, because i do like in this movie how it does feel a little bit like he's flying by the seat of his pants and making a lot of mistakes because if he feels like a character that every time we we see him we meet him again he's a little more calculated um and and so you meet him in Avengers and he's a lot more calculating than he was in Thor and then you meet him in the dark in in uh, uh Dark World and he's even more calculating of like faking his death and taking over the throne by like pretending to be Odin and like you know it's like it's it's machinations on machinations and I think he's learning how to be this trickster god more and more as the story has progressed but here He's just sort of a petulant child. And that's the irony of them banishing Thor is that Thor wasn't the petulant child. Loki was. Um, and, <laughs> and while like Thor, you know, definitely had some growing to do, they really both needed to just be banished to the desert together to like work out their, <laughs> their differences. Some time with a therapist might have helped. Yeah. Yeah. For right, sure. Right, right. And I think I really like what you're, what you're saying there, Scott, especially because one thing Andy and I talked about earlier is some of the other cut scenes, uh, some of the other scenes that have been deleted were ones in which Thor is even more of a jerk. And and I, I commented at one point, like, if you kept in too many of these scenes, I would find it really, we, we'd pass a point where I'm like, I no longer want to see Thor redeemed. He's just terrible. And I think maybe that, that it's the same kind of thinking. Like, they might have looked at the first cut of the movie and been like, People are going to want Loki to be the hero of this movie. This is not like we need to kind of make Loki a little less sympathetic and Thor a little more sympathetic and kind of sell it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think they could have easily stepped into Black Panther territory in terms of like, oh, I totally understand where this guy is coming from and maybe he's right. Um, and, and I think that, I think that that's, <laughs> Not what you want, especially this early on. You don't want that complex of a hero villain situation when you're literally introducing your hero this early on in the, you know, the the shared universe. Yeah, especially at this point, like you said, I mean, this is only the fourth film in this universe. And so, yeah, it's so early on. They don't want to make a misstep because obviously they had big, big plans. Because even there, I mean, they do do some level of Loki. Maybe I'm maybe I'm in the minority here, but certainly, I don't know anything about if Loki would be a good king. I've very much been sold on the idea that Thor would be a terrible king at this point in yes. time. You know, with what oh, he saw with Yodin. Yeah. So there's definitely like when Loki says, "Look at him; he can't be king." We at least believe that. I think you're right. We need to be careful not for that to go even further. I, I'm still convinced that if this movie hadn't happened, whether Loki ended up being adopted from uh, from by Odin and Frigga or not. I still think we would have ended up with Party Thor that we saw in What If, right. and I think that no matter what, it would have been a problem. So. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I, I really hope that uh, somewhere on the internet there's, you know, a log of Tom Hiddleston and Chris Hemsworth chats where Tom is like, yeah, I was in your movie, huh? Now I have my own TV show. How's that going for you? <laughs> so one last thing I wanted to bring up here that, that uh, again, 
another reason why I shouldn't be here. Because this person, I'm just going to say that he's the Anheriar sage because he looks like the sort of person that would be a sage, bald with a lot of hair on the back of his head. But he's carrying Gungnir. And again, going back to the conversations we've had about Gungnir, theoretically, at least in the comics, Gungnir can only be held by Odin. Now, we've already broken that because uh, we saw Loki holding Gungnir when he was on the throne. But again, that makes me think that it's this weapon that only the ruler can wield. And now it's just this random person carrying Gungnir. So, um, again, another reason why I'm glad that the scene isn't in here. That's fair. I, 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 will, I will be a lone defender of the scene, but you convince me why. Uh, there's a good <laughs> argument for it, at least. Well, I, I've joked at other points that the Asgard story is so good that it's hard for me to t- cut back to New Mexico. But we're about 20 minutes into this podcast, and we spent most of the time talking about the first seven seconds of the minute. So <laughs> we probably should get back to New Mexico. Um, so we cut back there. And as I said, now it is night. And we, we've talked about how long a drive it is. And I do like that, um, you know, you have this great shot of going up the road and then back down into the the crater. And and one thing I noticed is uh Scott, I don't know if you rewatched this uh these scenes, but Andy, you and I were talking about it not long ago. We just saw a scene where the Warriors three have to go up a flight of stairs to then look kind of down into the throne room. And and to me, I, it might just be a, it's a fun kind of shot to do, but this felt very similar to that. Yeah. Well, not only that, but I mean, this is an exact repeat of the shot when JMS actually drives his truck to the crater, right? Yeah. We have the exact same shot where we're following his vehicle. We come right over the top and see it. So I, I love the way that they're finding ways to kind of bring that symmetry mm-hmm. in wherever they can. I will say this is this has to be one of the least impressive military operations I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, it comes over and the music is like, wow, amazing, right? I'm like, it's a bot. It's like a hamster setup. Like, I, I like, yeah, it's just, it's so unimpressive. And it's, and it's so funny that we're only like two movies away from a helicarrier. And like, this is where they're at right now. It's just like this, uh, this pretty weak setup. Well, I mean, to their defense, it was set up in less than 12 hours. So it was a very quick setup. And so I, I, my hunch is they designed it to look like something that could be set up quickly. Mm-hmm. But also, to your point, it does feel like it's something that you'd probably see more in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. rather than in right. later MCU films. It was it was something uh, like 12 hours in WandaVision, and that was a much more impressive um, <laughs> camp <laughs> That's setup. very true. Yeah. <laughs> the, the only thing, and again, I seem to be the king of uh, uh, headcanoning these days, but... It, because I look at all that piping, especially the kind of like above ground tunnels, and I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. And the only explanation I could come up with is it would seem like those offer some kind of containment. And maybe they do believe that things are radioactive or maybe they just know they've told people it's radioactive. And so they want they want it to look scary. You know, they don't want the press driving up. They don't want more people coming by to see it. And so they're trying to make it look like we're all in security stuff. And like if you come near, you're going to get zapped by the radiation because you don't need all that tubing. You can just walk around. It's okay, Right. Because like, why is but like, why is the spot where Milner is, why is it like in open air? Like, why isn't it in a tent or something? Like, why is it open to the sky? Like, I I just don't, do they know what it is? Do they know that it can attract lightning? And that's the reason why are they trying to lure Thor out because they like want whoever the hammer belongs to, to know where the hammer is so they can get them to, or like, what's the situation here? What's their plan? (laughs) 
some of that falls to that whole Doyleist or Watsonian type of storytelling where it's like, it's here because they need Thor to be with the hammer and the rain is coming down on him. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't, like, in context of the way the story works, it doesn't make any sense to me. But yes, it's just the writers needing to do it that way. And so it, it ends up making it that much more frustrating. So we do get that kind of uh, cool God's eye shot from the top. And they do this fun thing where you're just <clears throat> sort of spiraling around the hammer, seeing a bunch of people walking around. Uh, most of them look like they're in techie suits of some kind, but one person is just in a suit. And I believe, at least according to the script, that's supposed to be Colson. Well, it looks like an African-American to me. Like, I Does feel it? like okay, I didn't, when I didn't, see the head. I but I mean, and I think that, you know, just we're going to have to start delineating these people <laughs> as we move forward. So I think that we call anyone who's in a suit an agent anyone who's like uh you know in the white outfit they're going to be the the scientists and i guess the the specifically like the the people who are agents but who are working on the computers i guess we'll call them techies because that seems to be the delineation in the script and in the credits so just so that we can try to sort this out as we talk through all these (laughs) All these people who are wandering around here, because there are a lot. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people here in this one little place, but nobody's at the road. But anyway. Right. <laughs> so so we go back to Jane and Thor, and he's taking off his jacket and offering it to Jane. And she says, wait, why do I need this? And then we hear thunder. First of all, he just doesn't want to have a bright colored jacket on, I think, because he's going to try and be stealthy. But I think the clear indication is supposed to be that he knows that, like, thunder and, like, lightning and rain is going to be coming soon. Is this because he just, he knows that that happens when he gets close to Mjolnir or that he thinks that that will happen when he flies away? Like, is the thunder, is that just a coincidence moment or is it because he's getting close to Mjolnir and so there's thunder? What's, what do you think is happening there? I think he's the god of thunder and he knows when it's going to rain. Um, I mean, I, I think that it's as simple as that. That's how I always read it. But, but also, but yeah, it, it could also be coming from his, his own feeling of like, well, I mean, I'm going to get Milner and then, you know, the lightning's going to come because I'm going to be Thor again, buddy. Um, and so, you know, he's just feeling very confident about his, uh, his chances of being able to pick up Milner. And we did hear, I mean, there was a lightning flash and thunder rumbling when we were on that God's eye view looking down on Milner. Mm. So it's entirely possible that he already had heard the thunder and saw the lightning and jane didn't so that can make sense yeah um and so yeah and so then uh there's great back and forth where thor offers a deal he says you know once i have it uh you'll get everything and she just doesn't think it's possible she has no idea how he's going to do this yeah it's i mean it's funny and and this is another moment where i think that the writers for the script really found great opportunities to bring comedy in, you know, because uh, it, it just, it plays well like this moment. And we, we're kind of breaking up the joke across these two minutes, but it is pretty funny the way that it ends up playing and it works well. My only question with it is that, or I don't even know if it's a question, but I think it's funny how, you know, Thor, like he, his, he has the smoothest charming ability. Like he sold his friends on this invasion of Jotunheim on the stupidest things earlier in the film. Like we, I gave you all the greatest food ever. And the Volstags, yeah, that was great. Let's go, let's go start a war. Like it's so silly. And here he's doing the exact same thing with Jane, where he's just totally giving her the smooth, charming talk. And Jane instantly is just like, no. And I don't know. I find that really funny. And maybe it's just because I've been watching so many of these minutes so much, but I just found that turn on Thor, even though he doesn't react, 
uh, like he, he doesn't get deflated from her no. But I just found that to be such a funny no, especially the way that Natalie Portman delivered it. I also just like it from the perspective of just like, no, don't impl- like implement me like in this plan. Like that's not, I'm not, I'm not going to be implicated. Uh, you know, this is your thing. You, you, you go do the thing, but I am not giving you my approval. <laughs> yeah. Cause we saw her earlier when they were all taking all of her stuff, you know, she thought it was wrong, but she wasn't like, you know, I'm going to break in and steal it back. So I'm going to sue you. Like, she's still thinking in terms of like the official systems, not in terms of, you know, let's go rogue quite as much. (laughs) Right. Well, it makes me wonder, like, what were her, what was her intention then on coming out her? I mean, was she just, because I guess, I mean, the initial intention was just to give him a ride. Uh, So, yeah, I guess what, what is, what was she thinking would happen? I I don't think she knows. I think she just wants to see. I think she's curious. <laughs> yeah. Her her curiosity is just getting the best of her. Yeah. I, I think also she probably had no idea it was this intense. You know, she yeah. knew that a couple of town drunks had come in and said the feds told us to leave. Right. Like that could have been one car, and then the feds drove off twenty minutes later, and so now the hammer is still just sitting there in the middle of, of nowhere. Right. 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 Definitely. So uh, I think it's about all we have for this minute, at least from my end. Any other last things you two wanted to bring up? Nope. Good minute. Can't wait to uh, see what happens next. Awesome. Well, Scott, we've talked about uh, a number of the projects you do. Is there anything else we haven't yet gotten a chance to talk about that you want listeners to know about? Oh, yeah. Uh, So (laughs) I'm also uh, a big theme park fan, and I have a podcast called Theme Park This, which comes out every other Thursday, Theme Park Thursday, um, or Theme Park Thursday as the case may be. Hey, there you um, go. And uh, it is a podcast where myself and my co-hosts, Brian and Kyle, um, take a subject, concept, or IP, and then we talk about how we would turn it into a theme park. It's a very, like, silly sort of uh, armchair imagineering kind of thing. Um, and, but I, we have a lot of fun with it. Uh, and, uh, and, and I just, I, I adore those guys and I, and I love doing that show. Um, I, I love theme parks and, uh, love the idea of, uh, turning anything and everything into a theme park. We did an episode on, um, the MCU, uh, shortly after Avengers campus opened because we're like, I think we could do better. So, uh, so we, we did an episode on that and then we definitely have an Asgard land, uh, amongst, uh, lots of other stuff in our, in our Marvel, uh, studios episode. So, uh, maybe check out that episode and then see if any of the other subjects, uh, strike your fancy. One more great thing to check out. Um, I have to say, Scott, normally by this point, by the end of the week, I'm like, all right, what can I find as a new way to get the host talking it's great when the host is just doing the guest is doing eight million things because <laughs> makes my job easier so thank you andy thank you so much to all of our fans thank you and have a great day until next time true believers marvel movie minute is a production of true story fm engineering by andy nelson this season's music is one last ride by martin puringer find the show at truestory.fm And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. 